Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm glad all of you are here today. Before I open up in prayer, we have Kevin. Good to see you again. It's been several years, so everyone welcome him. We have Perry. He's a new gentleman with us, so make sure you say hello to them. Okay? And we got some more people coming in here. But let me open in prayer so we can get into our study here. Father Yahuwah, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you for your Shabbat, a day that you've set apart for us to enter in, and we do delight, Father. We come here, we come to you to get your guidance, to get your uh, empowerment by your spirit, Father, your words that you have handed down to us for guidance in our lives, and Father, our desire is to understand them, incorporate them in our lives, and Father, we thank you because you've shown great mercy and favor to us. Your words are true, trustworthy. Father, we thank you. And we know that and we know and we trust in whom the one that you had sent to us, that your very words became flesh. He has dwelt among us, and we see him as our Messiah and our King, your only brought forth son, Yeshua Hamashiach, the Messiah. Thank you. Amen. So I'm glad all of you guys are here today. So, um, as usual, I think I'm going to start going through some of this, um, uh, some of uh, some of this, and then you know, the, then we will open. Um, I'm for sure the mic will probably want to be open for sure on some of this that we're going to talk about. John has the mic, so all we ask is just raise your hand. Uh, the mic will make its way to you, and. Make sure it's on point what we're talking about. Let's try to stay on point and try to make it brief. That way, if there is many people have some comments, questions, or whatever, um, that, they, uh, that we can make sure that we can uh, get to everybody. Okay? So, I have some notes during the week here. I in my thought process on some some things. So um, some of the things that was coming to me, I mean, they might not be directly related to what we're doing, but yet they are. And, I, and, this may, and maybe this will help make sense that my last statement. Um, have you ever noticed about the scriptures? There's a lot of narratives running side by side, they, some relate to each other, tiny ones within smaller ones, then them inside larger ones, and then they go alongside other narratives, then ultimately scripture itself is one huge big narrative. And then I, this is my thought process, and I'm thought, my goodness, that's just like our lives, isn't it? <laughs> All of us have our little narratives here with family at work and so on. MDV or, and then, you know, on and on and on. And I just, I don't know. It's one of those things I thought I'd share. It, take it for what it is, <laughs> okay? 
Okay, so we are in Jerusalem, and this is where we are. We're going to our study now, where we're at. We are in Jerusalem, the, um, um, Jerusalem, in the days leading up to Passover. Okay, in the death of Yeshua. That's where we're at in the book of Matthew, twenty, uh, chapter twenty-two. We can see the same picture of the lamb being brought into the household in the time of the in Egypt in the time of the Exodus. Okay, where they brought this lamb in, all right, and they scrutinized it. They looked at it because the text says, make sure it's a perfect one. Okay, so which I think is really interesting. So, but the purpose, uh, when, so when the Israelites were to do that, that was a four day period. Okay, Nisan 10. Okay, that's where Yeshua is right now because. Passover has not happened yet. We're in those, that four-day period, and maybe by this point in the text, we're in the last three days, give or take, okay? But that gives us a time frame, and I think that's very important, especially because of understanding the narrative within the bigger narrative, okay? So, um, and we got to remember the purpose for all this. So they brought this lamb into the household, checked it for defects, and then they killed it and applied the blood to the doorposts, okay? And why they did that, then ultimately of that blood on the doorpost, the messenger, the messenger of death, would not, he would pass over that house, right? And the firstborn or any firstborn within that household, their life would be spared, and I know most of you know that story, but we have to keep that in our mind as we're going, because Messiah is walking this out before us. It's not making void the Exodus story or the celebration of Passover. What Yeshua is, he's coming alongside within, that, within the feast itself and bringing deeper meaning, all right? So we don't, now that we have Messiah or recognize Messiah and something they did, we don't throw away the feast. That's not what I'm talking about. They, are, they come together and they walk side by side, so to speak. And remember that this was the commandment from Elohim, that the blood was to be a sign on that doorpost. And again, resulting in that no death would befall a firstborn in that house. Okay. So the same is being played out here with Yeshua, who is the Lamb of God. Now, here's the interesting part. He's being tested. He's being tried. He's being looked at for blemishes or any sin, is he not? Because some of the stuff that we just read last week. And then what else? Something I'd like to add in there, my own thought process, that I think when we get into the text more in Matthew, that you'll see that it is a very possibility, but I'll let you decide. But we, we see him also being poked to see what side of doctrinal issues he may stand on, okay? And why I mention that, because we as Messianics, and I think of any people of faith who hold Scripture up, always have that little conflict in there. Is he... Is he a Baptist? Does he believe it this way or that way? Do they 
follow the calendar this exact way or, you know, determining, you know, where I might be a brother to this, uh, this person or uh, be, a, 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 uh, be associated, okay? So I think the same thing was going on there, okay? And that's why I mention it. So we just read that the Pharisees, this was last week, sent their students to trap him and tried to put him in opposition with the, govern, the governing authorities, okay? That's one thing last week that we see very clear that was going on because the Herodians were present, okay? And that meant that, okay, they were trying to, to me, they were trying to put Messiah in bad political standing. So it was political. Are you going to, do you think the way we do come over to our group so we can accomplish what we want over that group of people? I'm not saying sometimes you want to do that. Sin is sin. Yes, you don't want to participate. But yet on some of these other things, none of that's really there. A lot of it's just man's ego to make sure that he's better and right above somebody else. Okay? So... Obviously, it failed, and now, this week, the Sadducees approach Yeshua for, I'm going to say, somewhat of the same reasoning, okay? One question I did forget to ask you guys last week, um, and it was kind of interesting, okay, because I don't have an answer for it, okay, was, why was Yeshua a threat to them? to at least these particular groups, okay? He didn't really seem to be a threat to Rome, you know, because they, they wasn't hunting, trying to hunt him down or corner him. But yes, you do see the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the only time that maybe we saw Rome or the government involved when they decapitated John's head, but that was more of on a personal, personal level, Okay, it wasn't on a big political type thing. It was someone was bent out of shape because of what this man said, insinuated. Okay, it, so you didn't have the government looking into Yeshua. You know, okay, who's this prophet? Yeah, they were kind of aware of him, but they wasn't. They were curious, but they wasn't hunting him down, so to speak, or trying to test him or try them, like maybe the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, my question is again, then. Um, why was he a threat? Why was Yeshua a threat to them? And here's the other part. Is there more to what we think traditionally about it? And again, I'm not going to tell you I have any perfect answers. And there may, you know, and again, if you have maybe some kind of comment on that, but we haven't really even dug in yet. So is there possibly, is there something I'm going to that we're going to see. I don't know. Paul, good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I think he was kind of a threat to them, Ralph, because he would be, uh, how do I say it? He'd be like the top gun preacher. He very could be. bring them down a couple notches, and maybe in synagogue, they would almost be not needed or something, you know, something mm -hmm. on that uh, order. It very well could be. Thanks. And then 
We'll take another comment and then we'll continue on. Please, Perry. I think that while the Sadducees and Pharisees groups were really um, confrontational with Jesus is because Jesus had come to them and told them mostly that you observe as human traditions mm -hmm. and not traditions that is written strictly in the Bible, if, I mean, in the Torah. If you go strictly by the laws that which Moses prescribed, there wouldn't even be need for conflict. There wouldn't even need, be a need for, um, you know, a con divisions and confusion. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that he had encouraged the people to actually go to reading the Torah themselves rather than just uh, letting someone dictate human traditions mixed with Torah sayings. No, yeah, I, I, I can see that. I understand that. And it's weird because uh, this whole week, some of these huge questions that I've been asking myself, um, I did look into who the Pharisees were and the Sadducees. And it's, I'll tell you right now, there's things that I agree with the Sadducees outright. And then there's things with the Pharisees I think are spot on. I grin, this is my biasness as well. But then do we, what I've learned in some ways when I, by doing that, there's other things going on that maybe, maybe possibly we're misunderstanding some of what, how, why Yeshua was saying the things he did. And, and we'll, we're going to look at that. And it might take a while, but... That's something that we're going to look at. Yes. Well, I know also what was going on is there was, th there was a thing called Taka Note. Tradition. T-K-A, I'm sorry, T-A-K-A-N-O-T. And what it means is the authority to change or negate biblical law, mm -hmm. which, of course, though, goes against Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, and chapter 12, verse 32. But they thought they had the authority to do it. An example would be when they were selling in the temple area, and that was on a high Shabbat. And Yeshua was like, not happening. So he drove them out of there. And he quoted what? Isaiah 56, verse 7 in Jeremiah 7, 11, I believe, about making it a house of prayer, but you made it into a den of thieves. Mm -hmm. So they had their... Of course, he confronted them on a number of things, and all those oral laws and commandments of men are in the Talmud. I've read all of the Babylonian Talmud, and it has significant portions of the Jerusalem integrated into it. So everything they were doing got written down later. Um, but I think that's a lot of what Yeshua was dealing with was just that. And that's why a lot of people have a hard time even understanding the first miracle of John uh, chapter 2, I believe, when he turns water to wine, because that was, again, a rule they had made up about hmm. why they couldn't drink it, which there's not enough time here, but I can explain it if you yeah. like later. No, uh, great. No, that, and that's great insight, because what he's talking about, there, uh, there was a lot of, uh, like you said, the talking out, there was, uh, I, I think of a better word, or another, like fences that were put up and traditions that they've put in place, okay? But that's where we're, we're, we explore the differences that's going on. But what I did find is that we can't ultimately say, oh, it was because they put up fences that Messiah was against them. Because 
Messiah put up fences as well. So it's like, okay, so what's the bickering, what's these things going on? Yes, sir. Well, I would like to make a comment for looking at it in today's politics. You got the Republicans and the Democrats, the Reds and the Blues. And if you ever have a white or an independent come in, what happens? They're shut out. So it's kind of the same thing. The only time that a, a red and a blue get together is when they're attacking an independent that comes in. And that is what happened all throughout here. When the Sadducees had their go, then the Pharisees would get up and give it their go, and they would both be attacking the independent. No, I, 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 I think that is a majority of the case. Thank you, sir. Where you do have, because we do see where they came together, but you'll, some of the stuff I've discovered is like, how much they hated each other as well. <laughs> but yet they could come together for another greater cause. So, so a lot of this, you know, as, as we get in and looking at some of this information, behind it all, I think, is the, the core thing that we need to look at. Don't look at these as separate groups of people, like, in some sense. Look at it as, like, okay, is that a characteristic that you're putting forth, whoever it's coming from, you know? Because I think there's, I think that's where Messiah meets the individual, you know, and where he wants to correct. Because, yes, there's plenty of times that we will see that, that he corrects certain things, but there's plenty of times where, no, <laughs> it, it, it was just fine. So, um, Barry, we'll take you, and then we'll get into some of the text, or I'll share some of the things I got. Or, or Kevin. Um, just quick, Merle, could you explain the wine thing? You were talking about, and you got my interest on the wine thing. Oh, he said he'd explain it later. Oh, you would explain it later. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, Kevin. Then. Um, so um, my thought was exactly what the gentleman down here said, but um, one of the threatening things, while not being overtly threatening about Christ, was when you have people who are engaged in oppositional, um, divisive, politics, then someone who says, we can walk away from all of this, right? In other words, the Gandhi figure, right, in, in more modern times said, we um, Hindu and we Christians and we Muslim can walk down this same path together and have a united India, right? It was a Hindu who killed him. Mm-hmm because he was a threat to oppositional politics where each side gets their own people into hating the other side. The person who says we can have peace, the person who says, you know, we don't have to fight these battles all the time. That's a serious threat to people who are manipulating different crowds of people to attack their foes. Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting because we, we, I mean, we've seen that play out in history in various types of ways all the time. So, so uh, it's going to be interesting as we go through this. So let's continue. 
Um, but we're going to need to refresh ourselves with uh, the, some text in this next section that's going on here, okay? And that will, we're going to go to Deuteronomy 25. But even before we do this, I want to share this with you. This, I, I had this for last week as we're looking, and I think it will still apply today in, uh, in this way. Proverbs 25, 2 says, It's the esteem of Elohim to hide a matter and the esteem of sovereigns to search out the matter. Other translation, uh, it's the honor of Elohim to hide a word and the honor of sovereigns to probe a word. And then it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings to search out the matter. So why I bring this up, this is one of those verses in my life that I come across. And it's not, it's not saying that the Father or our God has hidden things that we cannot know. They're there. We need to take the time and the effort to see the things that are concealed only to because of how we are. That's how I would see this. Now, in some ways, I, I see Deuteronomy 13, 14, when it says that you shall inquire to search out and ask diligently and see if the matter is true and establish that, uh, that this abomination has been done in your midst. Now, I don't believe I'm taking this out of the context uh, in the sense of, yes, in Deuteronomy, it's talking about false uh, prophets, I believe, uh, or someone worshiping other Elohim, setting up things and that type of thing. So the idea and the principle is still there. Don't go just run, okay? Meaning, seek this out. Try to understand it. And that's all I'm saying that I've been trying to do here because there's so much more information on the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay, and these groups of people that, first of all, none of us was there, and we do have somewhat limited information to go by. And um, I might be getting ahead of myself, but as far as the, uh, the Sadducees, what we get from them is very little because they didn't leave much behind, but we got it from, we got a lot from the, uh, we know a lot by, of the uh, Sadducees from the Pharisees. And that's not always a good thing when your enemy is recording about you, uh, so to speak. All right? So we need to, I think we can still gather um, things from the text. And I think things are some reasonable to conclude as we go through. But again, I, the, my big point is, remember, any of this going on, are we as individuals or as a community operating the same way against our Messiah and against our King? Uh, Paul. You were mentioning uh, Deuteronomy 13, 14, or examining like uh, Proverbs 25, 2, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 says, test everything and hold fast to what is fine. So it is up to us to be like Bereans and examine the scriptures to make sure that whatever we're being taught is true, uh, but being confrontational or contentious is another matter uh, to, to examine the scriptures and to keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking 
that's something that we're required to do. Awesome. Thank you, Paul. And thank you, brother, because it's like, it's amazing. Like every week, my next thing I want to say, Paul usually like, no, it, no, no, introduce and actually compliments what I want to say. And it's strange because I, what I have in my notes, Paul gives me this nice leeway to go into it. And, and it's this. I do, personally, I do try to uh, search out the things the best of my ability, okay? And I'll tell you right now, I do fall short, okay? Um, but I know that's okay, because <laughs> I'm going to continue to search these things out. And really, that's all of our attitude we should have, okay? We should, on a continuation, know there, there could be more. There could be more. I, like I was saying, I, I learned more about the Sadducees and the Pharisees this week, and some of the things that may have been spoken about them, uh, I, we, I don't think we can necessarily bring that in anymore. You know? And what I'm saying is some of the things I learned about them, they had, in some ways, with their faults, a desire to follow after their Elohim. Okay. So now, there's, uh, so now there is an instruction given in Deuteronomy that I was talking about that plays a part in our next uh, testing given by the Sadducees. So we'll take a look at that if there's, if there's no other comments. So Deuteronomy uh, 25.5, when brothers dwell together... And one of them has died and has no son. The widow of the dead man shall, uh, shall not become a stranger's, uh, a stranger's outside. Her husband's brother does go into her and shall um, take her as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son, which she bears, does raise up for the name of his dead brother, so that the name is not blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name for his brother in Israel. He does not agree to perform the duty of my, uh, my husband's brother, the elders of the city shall then call him and speak to him, and he shall stand, uh, stand and say, I have no desire to take her. Okay? First of all, I'm not going to pretend I completely understand the depths of this, and I don't think anyone else is going to like, well, I got it all under control. Because first of all... <laughs> I did notice that the firstborn son is mentioned here. That's a very, uh, that's a very uh, important, and I'm going to use the word I used earlier, important narrative that runs through all of, the, all of the text, including Yeshua plays a part in that, obviously. So with this text, too, I, w- I was sitting and asking uh, the name. It's a duty to raise up the name. Okay, so here again, what comes with the name? In this context, is there something that uh, we are overlooking because, first of all, we don't live and we don't operate 
this cultural thing anymore. All right? Yeah, I can just hear it now, you know. Someone, they get married, you know, and the wife gets married and says, you better not die because I don't like your brother. You know what I mean? That type of thing. You know, it's, it's an odd thing. So, so, so what's in the name? Barry? And maybe some of the purpose in here. Actually, I think she would say, let's hurry and have a son. <laughs> so, yeah. Because I don't like your brother. Yeah, because I want the inheritance. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, one thing you mentioned, I don't remember, maybe it was three years ago, but you had mentioned that if, if a man took his brother's wife because he died, right, that uh, part of his inheritance would go to that son and it would be under his brother's name, so he would feel like he's lost something. It's, it was, went to his brother's lineage instead of his lineage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was another thought I had is, uh, uh, oh, I don't remember, so I better pass it. No, it's interesting because think about that because um, I believe later on that will play a part into maybe some of the reasonings when we see the discussion. And again, it's because it, we, it's something that we don't, we don't have or we don't do, so we don't know all the little nuances that come along uh, uh, with uh, that type of judgment or practice, so to speak. Yes? Well, I know this has nothing to do with it, but it's basically like uh, back in the old days when they send their people out for war in the army. Uh, my grandfather told me about this that um, if they only had one son, they would not send that one out to war because the bloodline would be killed off from there. So if that family had two sons, there'd be a possibility that the first son that's the oldest could go, you know. But uh, it's, it's all in basically the honor of the family. It's basically in the, the carrying on like the military carrying on carrying the on that yeah, name exactly you know no so it doesn't and, die out that's what I, the military and i i i could be wrong here but i i understand what you're talking but i believe i know one time i did read that that actually happened there was five brothers and they yes. were all on the same naval it's in the torah ship. yes it's in the torah but here in america there was five brothers and they all died at the same time, and that's where the military say, we can't do that because we're wiping out a whole family in that sense. So they would divide the brothers up that way. Well, the other one, Saving Private Ryan, that's what... You know, oh, when, when, well, two of the brothers died, and that's when Tom Hanks and the rest of them had to go and get that other guy who's that other famous actor, uh, the one who played in um, Jason Bourne. Mm-hmm. He's the kid that... Mad Damon, yeah. Okay. Um, we'll have uh, uh, Dad, and then we'll do Perry. Well, two things I really wanted to say. I don't know if that's done anymore. Uh, I was born in 1943, and I had 11 uncles who were all gone to war. 11. So I don't know if they do that anymore. And the thing about not taking a wife... What if she had a wart on her nose? <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, Perry. I, I think that everybody touched on uh, partially what the scripture said. It's a preserving of the family and, and the biological line. Mm -hmm. So if it says uh, brother up there. So it's your, your brother in your family is the ne next to you. They have, you sell basically the same, you know, DNA and genetic makeup. So that's why God put that provision in uh, for a brother to preserve that line because the brother would, your brother would be the next closest to your DNA. And, and it's a way that uh, honors your brother who may have passed, whether through war or, or, or what, whatever. Yeah. So it's not like you were like really like a stranger was to come out and marry and married into the family after the person had already died. It's God's way of preserving the heritage of that family and that family tree. And I think I, I agree with this. I, I think that that's a good way because, I mean, whether you like his choice of mate or not, it's, it's your honor to your family. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what basically what uh, God is trying to uh, portray. No, I, 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 I agree with you. I think there is more there, and it's probably so foreign to us oh. in, in some ways, you know, because uh, of our culture, you know. So, and we've seen it's very important, uh, I think, the other part, not marrying outside of the tribes, okay? So if we want to put a spiritual application, which I think at the same time, to me, I, and I've voiced this plenty of time. The spiritual and the physical are one and the same. Okay? That, that unequally yoked concept or whatever. So if, if this happens and the name can't give, uh, get raised up, the, you do have this idea of inheritance here. Okay? But to me, the bigger part that's in this inheritance, it's the covenant. It's those promises. Okay? So the bigger part within this, the father, he's, spent, he's spending his time focusing on a group of people. That, and behind that group of people should be these commandments and a behavior because you're going to be a light unto the world and you're holding a treasure of mine. That's my covenant, my oath, and what I said, and you're going to be my representative. So you can see to me, we, uh, within that, there's even a bigger, uh, a bigger thing going on. Keeping the family together. Keeping the family who trust in Yahuwah, who calls him father, keeping them together. You know? Uh, yes, Kathy? Um, I just Googled something about the only son in the military. It's... United States military draft slash register for selected services. And it says, contrary to popular belief, only sons, the last son to carry the family name and sole surviving sons must still register with the selected service system and they can be drafted. These, men's may, be, these men may be entitled to a deferment during a military draft if there is a military death in the immediate family. Because I was curious about that too, because I always heard that if you only have one son, that they, don't, they can't be drafted or they yeah, don't have I to serve. Yeah, I don't but, know all the ins and outs well, of that. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, Marvin. 
to clarify what she what she said, she's right. But what the policy is, they won't put that son in combat. He'll have some safe job somewhere, but they they won't put him at risk. Mm -hmm. So thank you, guys, and Paul. Um, this brings up, and I know Mark talked about it, and we'll probably be discussing it again. The firstborn son would be the kinsman redeemer. So the weighty responsibility of looking after the family, considering that we know how Yah feels about the widow and the orphan. So in this case, his sister-in-law would be widowed. And so she would not marry someone who would be a stranger or take it out of the, the tribal inheritance. A lot of it has to do with, the, one, the inheritance would stay in the family because her son, when she has a son uh, through, through her brother-in-law, would be able to provide for her and look after her, but it's also the property inheritance that would stay within the tribal boundaries also. So those are some of the provisions that are there. It's not so that he can take her and be romantic or do any exactly. of this other kind of stuff. It's basically, you're the firstborn, you have the financial responsibility to care for the family. If you choose not to do that, then another kinsman would have to rise up and do the same. Yeah. And we saw that play out, I believe, with Ruth in the book of Ruth, that type of uh, thing played out. So you can see, uh, you know, it is something very important. Um, and, uh, you know, another uh, simplistic thing I saw here, so he would not die, you know, that, that name would not die out. So you can see, even behind that whole idea, Yahuwah is about life and making sure there's this continuing going on. So that even might speak to... Um, uh, well, no, we won't go there. So, but, so this gives us at least a, a basis of what we're going to look at here. Uh, let me finish it uh, out real quick. Um, but the few things that were mentioned, I think one of the important things, keep in mind about the inheritance, okay? But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband, uh, my husband brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel and does not agree. Okay, I read that already. In the elders of the city, there we go, sorry. And the elders of the city shall then call and speak to that man. Did I duplicate this? And when the brother's wife come... Oh, then it drops down. Then the brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders and remove his sandal from his foot and shall spit in his face. And I really looked at it. It's not necessarily spit on the face, but spit on the ground at the person's face. Okay, so that I've seen that it's so much that because that didn't make sense to me. But when I read some other literature, it's like, okay, you know, that uh, seems to be what it's saying. And answer and say... Thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. See, the idea of the house and the family here. And Israel, and in Israel his name shall be called the house of him who has the sandal removed. And obviously that's some kind of idiomatic uh, understanding uh, comment there. And because we're re removed, I wasn't able to find out what actually that meant, but I think we can get the gist of it, whether it was derogatory or just a simple statement, he refuses, and then, like Paul had mentioned, like we see in Ruth, then the woman could go otherwhere uh, to, to raise up a, a son. 
Well, you know, Ralph, I, I think this too, that I, I don't see any reason why a man would do that. Because even if, say like she had a different God, she could still live under your roof. You just don't have to pay attention to her. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, you know, but, but here in this context, that, that's, I think, one of the specific things. It would be someone who does believe and is in part of the family of the Almighty. You know, I believe that's a big, huge card. So, um, okay, we can take a couple more if we don't, don't want to move on. Go ahead. From what I understand, Ruth used to be a Moabitess, okay? But she turned over to uh, Elohim when she married her husband before he died. Mm-hmm. So uh, Boaz had his kinsman. That was the first kinsman. And when he found out that she was, used to be a Moabitess, he didn't really like that idea. But uh, Boaz said that, well, he was next in line after that kinsman. So he said, for the tradition, you take off the sandal. Basically, I give up my rights to marry her, mm-hmm. which cuts off any connection with him, holding him responsible, so that the next kinsman in line can take that positioning Yeah, for it very her. well might be the whole That's idea. That's what it means. Like, I'm not going to walk in those shoes. Right. <laughs> you know, it very well could be. We'll take uh, Perry and then Barry. That is Ryman, and then we can continue on here. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that this is, uh, as I stated before, you know, God's way of preserving that family line. And, and to say that um, a, um, a brother who refused to take his sister-in-law to preserve his, uh, his brother's legacy or his brother's uh, uh, genealogy, uh, the reason why they they would prefer to spit on the ground is, is that you have basically slandered, you know, your, your brother and your line. You don't, you're not honoring it. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, um, I don't see, even if the, that kind of uh, culture was being done today in here in the United States, I don't see anything really wrong with that because, after all, I, I'm an uncle, and I got lots of nieces and nephews, all right? Mm-hmm. And I don't treat any of them differently. And... Um, you know, they may have, you know, different fathers and mothers and things like that. But as the responsibility to an uncle or someone of a, who have offsprings from their brother line, you're supposed to love them anyway. I mean, that is your family line. That's your inheritance. So if, even if you were to say, marry this person, marry his uh, sister-in-law and they had a, a child, you, what father would hate his own child? I mean, even if you know it, that first seed's going to go to your, your deceased mm-hmm. uh, brother, it's still, whether you look at it or not, it's still family. The only problem would, would, would be if it, like, it's a distant cousin or someone outside the tribe. Then that would probably be a problem. But as far as um, preserving your, your household, your lineage, that, that, that shouldn't be a problem. I think we need to kind of go back to this. That's why the family structure is kind of falling apart right now. Yeah, out in the very well could be. Uh, thank you. And we'll go to Barry. But in the meantime, uh, there's one very important point in all that. The father commanded this and put it out there as an option. Okay? So, and I've read some other uh, rabbinic, there's other things that go along that can pertain to that. But my whole thing, I don't want to get too far into just debating about all this, but I want us to try to get into the text as well. Barry. 
Um, Ralph was saying that uh, why, he, why he couldn't marry her and keep her in some other room. The, the thing is, with the marriage, there's an obligation. If you have one wife, then it's the best you can afford to, to keep her. You know, you, you do the best you can. But in order to go to two or more wives, you have, there's, there's a standard. The Bible gives a standard by which you have to maintain them. They have to be maintained jewelry. They have to, they have to be, live comfortably. So, I mean, maybe he couldn't. Was, I could see one reason to say, no, I can't do it. I, I have one wife. I can't. We don't have the means to be following Torah to, to keep them in a in that fashion. It's a thought. Thank you, Barry. And yes, the, um, this subject can go in uh, a lot of different directions, but what I want us to do is try to keep on point because I want to read the next text of, and, and focus on that. We can take the basics, some of the basics understanding behind it, and um, hopefully uh, time is getting short here. So I, I want to at least read in Matthew and then um, we'll probably have to close. And that's okay, because I already prepared in my mind, knowing that especially there's going to be other things. That how, what's happening, Messiah, who he's talking to, and some of the, his teachings and stuff, especially at this time period in Jerusalem or in around Jerusalem at the time of the feast, uh, there's a lot of things going on, and... And I do want to address all of them, okay, and look at all of them. So our actual text that all this is on, why I did what I did. So on, the day, on that day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses, or Moshe, uh, said that if anyone should die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. And there were, there, were, uh, there, there were with us seven brothers, and the first died after he, had, uh, after he had married and having no children, left his wife to his brother. And in that same way, the second also and the third, unto the seventh. And the last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, then whose wife of the seven shall she be? For all had had her. And Yeshua answered and said to them, You go astray, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of Elohim, for in the resurrection they do not marry, nor are they given in marriage but are as messengers of the heavens. That's going, I actually, this kind of worked out good. We're going to come back next week, and we're going to look at this text. So in the meantime, you know where we're at, and there's a lot here. If you take the time to just meditate, we have, we have the Sadducees. Who were they? Okay, We have resurrection being mentioned. We have this whole concept coming out of Deuteronomy. And then we have Yahshua. And why did he answer the way he answered? That's been, that's been my questions. Okay? So I'm going to leave that with you. 
And that's what we're going to do because we're out of time. So next week, come back and, and just think about these things. Read these things. Try to do some research because maybe you could find some things that, I'm una- uh, that I have not come across or someone else. So I encourage you to do that. So let me close in prayer. Father Yahuwah, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your spirit, your guidance. Father, you've handed down these words. They are true, and we trust them. Father, we may not always completely understand them, but we know that you will help us, Father. We thank you. We thank you for the blood of your son, Yahshua, who is bringing us back to you. And please, with your spirit and powers to accomplish all those things in our lives so we may become more and more acceptable before you. We thank you again for your love and your mercy that you have shown us. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Those online will be back in about 20, 25 minutes, so please come and join us. And then don't forget, come back next week and we can really dive into some of this because I think it's going to be interesting and I think it's going to be fun if we all have the right attitude uh, looking at it because there probably is going to be differences of ideas and opinions. But I was just telling uh, our new friend Perry here that I am so happy with this congregation because we do discuss things, but we don't bicker to the point of dividing over things that we as brothers and sisters can behave like Yeshua. So thank you again, everyone.